0: Episode 27 is here, you're listening to it now, and welcome back everybody to the Say Hey Podcast. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show, so hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. Folks, we have a lot of news and notes, not only from around the Giants, but also from around the league as well. That's right everybody, free agency just got a little more interesting this past week, and along... With explaining why that is, for today's episode, I'm also going to dive into some players that I think would fit really well on the Giants, not only because of what they bring to a team, but also because of the price the Giants could potentially sign them for. But before I talk about all that, be sure to go back and listen to episode 19 on the Say Hey podcast, which at this point could be viewed as an offseason episode part one. And in that episode, I took a stab at some names that the Giants could potentially sign. But because of recent activity around the league, I thought I would, you know, produce an updated version of offseason moves I would love to see the Giants make. So let's go ahead and get right into it. News and notes from around our team. So, last week was eventful not only for the Giants organization, but also for everyone else around the league. Last Wednesday was the non-tender deadline, which essentially means teams all across the league had to make some pretty tough decisions on whether to keep or let go of players who are eligible for arbitration or players who are eligible for free agency. Okay, so, what the heck is arbitration and how does a player become eligible for arbitration? Alright, I'm going to try my best to explain everything in a way that's easy to understand, but hey, if you know me, then you know that's anything but guaranteed. So here we go. And if in, in in the end you're still confused, then I definitely encourage you to try to do some of your own research in order to try and digest the process of arbitration and whatever has been going on this past week, the best way you know how. So here we go. MLB salary arbitration is reserved for players who have at least three years of MLB service time, but are not eligible for free agency, which that's earned after six years of MLB service time. So basically, let's just say, for example, a player is drafted, right? That player goes all the way up the ranks, you know, single A, double A, triple A, and then he makes it to the big leagues. Now, Now that he's there, he won't be able to negotiate a new contract until three years of service. And also, he won't be eligible to be a free agent until six years of service. Unless, of course, his team cuts him in that time, then he can sign with whoever the heck he wants. So, with that being said, teams all across the league had to decide on whether they could offer contracts to certain players or not. For the Giants, they quote non-tendered and that all that means is that they dropped or let go. They let go Tyler Anderson, Daniel Robertson, Rico Garcia, Melvin Adon, and Chadrick Tromp. Now I'm a little sad to see Melvin Adon cut mainly mainly because he was a right handed prospect who had a lot of hype building around him because of his hard throwing velocity, but he recently sustained some kind of arm injury in the Dominican League. So I'm not sure I'm not quite sure if that had, had anything to do with it. Now, the players that the Giants were able to re-sign were Alex Dickerson, Austin Slater, Trevor Gott, Darren Ruff, Jarlin Garcia, and Wendy Peralta. Which is great. Not one of those signings were ones I was sad or disappointed about. Dickerson had a great year, obviously. Slater, although faced injuries, still led the team in stolen bases. Darren Ruff, he was great in his role as a right-handed power bat off the bench. And of course, you all know that I love Jarlin Garcia and also Wendy Peralta, which makes the lefty side of the Giants bullpen completely locked down and solidified. Now, Trevor Gott is obviously a name that might still have a little left to prove because of obvious reasons in 2020, but I def- I'm definitely hopeful that he'll be able to find success in 2021. All right, here we go. Now for the arbitration side of what I'm talking about for Donovan Solano and Reyes Maranta. Their situation's a little more tricky. The Giants offered both of those players contracts, which means they're on the team no matter what. So, yes, we got Donovan Solano, we got Maranta, good. All right, they're on the team no matter what. But the amount of money for those contracts is still uncertain. So what that means is at some point the Giants, and let's just stick with Solano just for the sake of explanation the Giants and Solano and his agent are going to have to come together and try to do a- agree on a number for Solano's contract. However, if Solano and the Giants cannot agree on a salary number for the upcoming season, a hearing will then take place between the club and the player, which is heard by independent arbiters and then the arbiters, arbiters being, you know, arbitrary, then the arbiters rule in favor of either the player or the club. Yeah, this is such an interesting process that I actually didn't even know about until maybe three or four years ago. So no matter what, again, Solano and Maranta are going to be on the Giants in 2021. There's just a few more steps that need to happen first. But good news, and let's just stick with Solano again. So good news is that Solano right now, if the Giants and Solano can reach an agreement right off the bat, Yeah, no pun intended. Then there won't be a hearing. The hearing only happens when both parties can't decide on a number in their first initial meeting. So basically, I think it actually happens around either mid-January or late January. All I know is that the first initial meeting happens in January. The two parties come together. Solano, you know, he'll probably—the conversation will stem around, you know, I feel like I deserve this number. And then the Giants will say, well, we feel like you deserve this number. And then if they can't reach that agreement or figure out a number that both parties enjoy, that's when they go to the meeting. So, Or the hearing, excuse me. But what makes this process even more exciting was that some of the big names, and I'm talking about other teams now, some big names around the league were cut from their teams and are now available in free agency. And I'll get to some of the names here later in the show, so please be sure to stick around till the very end. So in terms of free agency for the Giants, The last time we talked about off-season moves, again, episode 19 on this show, the Giants had not yet signed Gosman or Jason Vossler. Since then, the Giants were obviously able to acquire both of those players. So where does that leave the team in terms of what they need? Well, in my opinion, and based off what I've heard from the Giants front office, the Giants are still looking to add to their starting rotation. They are still very much looking to add a veteran right-handed reliever. And even though they acquired the left-handed hitting Vossler recently, the Giants are still also looking to add more left-handed depth in the batter's box. And not to mention, the only catchers on the roster now are Buster Posey and Joey Bart at this point. And Farhan Zaidi has already come out and stated that they want to start the 2021 season with Bart in the minor leagues so he can develop more. So that means they will definitely be going after another catcher in free agency to serve as a backup to Buster Posey. So now that we have all of that information, now that we know what the Giants are looking for, let's go ahead and dive into some players that I personally believe, in my opinion, fit the Giants well. Or at least, let's go ahead and talk about some options that they have to choose from. Let's go ahead and start with the catcher position. First player, James McCann. Now, there really is no arguing who the top free agent is at catcher position, but in my opinion, the number two isn't up for much debate either. Behind JT Riomuto and James McCann, the excitement falls off pretty hard after that. I've talked about McCann before on the show as a high-end catcher that brings a plus bat into the lineup, along with solid defense behind the plate. However, at this point in his career, I think McCann is ready to be a starting, ba- starting backstop for a team which will come at a higher cost. I would much rather see the Giants invest in a cheaper option for a player who won't be playing every day, which brings us to the more realistic options in my opinion. For these next two players, there's common denominators between them. They're used to being backup catchers as they were for their previous teams. They're used to catching some of the best pitchers in the game. And they have solid framing ability. And these two guys are Jason Castro and Kirk Casale. Castro comes from the Padres that featured starting pitchers named Dennison Lamette, Mike Clevenger, Garrett Richards, and Chris Paddock. Kirk Casale comes from the Reds that featured a pitching staff that might have been just as good with names like Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, and Sonny Gray. Now, if there's one thing that I've learned from the 2020 season, it's that the Giants are trying to adapt or adopt to the new style of catching. And if you haven't seen it yet, then I encourage you to go on YouTube and try to find videos on how catchers are now being taught to frame pitches. A lot of times throughout the season, you probably saw Trump or Bart get down on a knee despite there being runners on base. This is because analytics are now showing teams that catchers are more likely to get the lower pitch called a strike if they set up lower with one knee on the ground, pulling the pitch up to the bottom of the strike zone. I agree. The technique might be sacrificing the catcher's ability to block pitches better, but teams are now valuing strikes being called more. With that being said, I think the Giants will go after catchers who not only have great framing ability to start with, but also catchers who are willing to learn and adapt to what is being taught now in the game. Jason Castro and Kirk Casale are fine candidates for this type of prerequisite. Casale finished 2020 in the 78th percentile in framing pitches, and Jason Castro finished in the 70th percentile. So although they weren't the best at... framing pitches, they were definitely well above average. Another name that entertains me, and I already mentioned his name before in previous episodes, is Kurt Suzuki. I don't actually expect the Giants to sign him, and that's primarily due to the fact that he was in the bottom four percentile when it came to framing pitches, but I just like his bat. And I liked him a long time ago when he was playing for the Oakland A's, which is also around the time Farhan Zaidi was at the Oakland A's. So this move, although it doesn't excite me a lot, I also wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Another name is Chadwick Trump, because although the Giants just cut him in order to make room on the 40-man roster, I can definitely see the Giants also going out and signing him again, but to a minor league contract. And the only reason for that is because Trump is now familiar with the system the Giants are trying to implement, and he is obviously familiar with the majority of the pitchers on the roster. One thing I am interested to see is, however, is how Posey plays. I really wonder if Posey will choose to get down on a knee in order to frame pitches, because we obviously know how outstanding of a defender he is, but I'm just curious to see if he starts adapting the new style as well. Also, wouldn't it be crazy if the Giants go out and sign Kirk Kasali, who who is on the Reds, and that alone is enough for Trevor Bauer to be convinced to sign with San Francisco. Because Kurt and Trevor were actually really, really close friends. And Kasali obviously caught him a lot on Cincinnati. But obviously, that's just a theory. That's just a rumor. I'm taking my, I'm learning my lesson from Alex Pavlovic. Don't spread rumors. It's just a crazy theory in my head. Uh, but that would absolutely be really, really cool. All right, moving on to the next position. And that's going to be relief pitchers. Now this is a position I can see the Giants going all out for. Not only because Scott Harris, the general manager, mentioned it again on an episode of Chalk Talk at Home, which if you guys don't know what that is, I think it's once a week. Either once a week or once a month, the Giants YouTube channel will go live and it's called Chalk Talk at Home. It's a it's a segment on their YouTube channel. And they're gonna they have a bunch of Giants affiliates personalities. Uh this last one I just watched featured Scott Harris, Farhan Zaidi, and it featured all of our favorite announcers. Dave Fleming was there, Dwayne Kuyper, Mike Kruko, and also Gabe Kapler even made an appearance. So, the whole show was really entertaining. But anyways, because of the uncertainty and the inconsistency that was put on display by the Giants' bullpen in the late innings during the 2020 season, this is another reason why I think the Giants can go all out for this particular need that they have. So... Last time in episode 19, when I talked about some relievers that I really enjoyed and I thought the Giants should, should go after, I mentioned Blake Trinan, Shane Green, and Keone Kella. And even though that still rings true right now, I still really enjoy those names. There have been a few names that have popped up and have definitely caught my eye recently. And the first one is definitely going to be Kirby Yates. The 33-year-old 2019 reliever of the year had 2020 ending early due to a season-ending surgery to remove bone chips. Now, along with 41 saves in 2019, Kirby Yates also produced a 1.19 ERA. This might actually be the most interesting name of all the free agent relievers simply because of how well he performed in 2019. I could definitely still see teams being willing to pay a big price for Yates despite the surgery he sustained, but we'll just have to wait and see. Now, even though I do like all the names I just mentioned, I think this actually might be my favorite name. And Archie Bradley for the Reds, a reliever for the Reds, just got cut by them. Could be a great signing for the Giants for multiple reasons. First, during the years 2017, 2018, and 2019, while Bradley was on the Arizona Diamondbacks, so the same division as the Giants, He pitched a combined 11.2 innings at Oracle Park and did not give up a single run, and he did not pitch at Oracle Park in 2020, so technically, he hasn't given up a single run at Oracle Park over the past four years. During the 2019 season, Bradley collected 18 saves for the Diamondbacks and produced a 3.52 ERA, while also acting as their setup man during different times throughout the season. And last year during the shortened season, Bradley produced a 2.95 ERA in just 18.1 innings pitched. I like Bradley because he can be versatile with his role in the bullpen. He could come in the ninth inning if Kapler needs him, but he can also find success in other situations. He can also come at a cheaper price simply because he's not a full-time closer and the other names might actually be more expensive. But he's definitely a name that excites me overall. All right, moving on to the next position, and that's going to be starting pitching. So, another for sure signing I think we can expect to see is the Giants acquiring a left-handed starter. Since as I mentioned, Tyler Anderson was the only lefty starter they had left in their rotation, but they just let him go. So now they only have a right they only have right-handed arms in their rotation. With that being said, the first name I'm going to mention is lefty James Paxton. James Paxton is definitely not the most expensive option the Giants can go after in free agency, but he's still a player that might cost a pretty penny. I like Paxton a lot because when healthy, he's an elite lefty arm and his numbers in 2019 would illustrate that same point when he produced a 3.82 ERA and an 11.11 strikeouts per nine innings and also managed to produce a 15-6 record with the Yankees in 2019. Now, 2020 was the first time in Paxton's 8-year career his ERA started with a number higher than 3. Yes, 2020 looks bad for him on paper, but the truth of the matter is that Paxton was battling a lot of injuries. In early February of last year, Paxton had a procedure on his back and was given a 3-4 to month recovery time. However, his agent Scott Boris has come out and stated that, quote, the back rehab just wasn't there and he just needed more time to where he could really go through his normal mechanics of 2019, end quote. So essentially, the way I interpret that quote is that Paxton came back to the 2020 season earlier than he should have. And the result? Well, along with not fully recovering from the back surgery, Paxton can only make five starts in 2020 before sustaining a grade one flexure strain in the month of August, thus ending his season. Boris... Paxton's agent has also come out and stated, quote, we're seeing him back to normal now in his throwing. You can really see the difference, end quote. Now, I'm, compl- I'm not completely naive. Of course, Paxton's agent is going to be as positive as possible about his client's health. But even so, the fact that he's throwing and feeling good when he does throw is definitely a positive sign in my opinion. I would love to see if the Giants could get Paxton at a cheaper, somewhat discounted price because of the injuries he sustained in 2020, only to show that he's exactly the same pitcher he was in 2019 when he was completely healthy. Another name I like is Garrett Richards. Yes, I know Richards is a right-handed pitcher, but along with signing a lefty starter, I can also see the Giants going out and signing an additional arm to help bolster the rotation as well. In 2020, Richards started 10 games for the Padres and produced an ERA of 4.03. Now, initially, that ERA doesn't get me too excited either, but Richards has electric pitches in his arsenal. His four-seam fastball sits around 95 miles per hour. Opposing hitters can only produce a 147 batting average against his slider, and his curveball is simply devastating, to put things in the simplest terms. If there's anything the Giants have proven, it's that... They have the tools to help players improve their game almost instantly, as we saw from Gosman and Smiley in 2020. Now, in my opinion, Richards is another candidate for the Giants' workshop. For all the true baseball nerds who listen to this show, Richards' spin rate on his four-seam fastball is in the 97th percentile, and his curveball spin rate is in the 99th percentile, which essentially means for the people who may not have any idea what I'm talking about right now, when certain pitches have an extremely high spin rate, what usually follows is positive results because of how hard it is for that batter to either see the pitch or make contact because of how well that pitch is moving. With the right coaching and the right tools, like I believe the Giants do have, I personally believe Richards could take his game to the next level. Now, another name I really do like, and I I know, another right-handed pitcher is Tyler Chatwood. Tyler Chatwood pitched for the Chicago Cubs in 2020, and I'm recognizing a bit of a, you know, similarity between him and Kevin Gosman. Now, here's why. In 2019, Kevin Gosman posted an ERA of 5.72. Yeah, yuck. In 2020, Chatwood produced an ERA of 5.30. Also yuck. But the thing about Kevin Gosman's 2019 season, he also posted a 3.98 FIP. That's right. The word is FIP. F-I-P. Tyler Chatwood, his FIP was 3.35. Now, what the heck is FIP? FIP is a statistic in baseball that measures what a pitcher's ERA would look like with an average to above average defense, essentially getting rid of factors a pitcher cannot control, such as defensive errors. So with that being said, when a pitcher's FIP is significantly lower than his ERA, that's usually a strong indication that the pitcher wasn't performing as bad as his ERA would suggest. And we obviously saw that translate when the Giants... Went out and signed Kevin Gosman, even after he posted a terrible ERA, we saw exactly what happened in 2020. Now, right off the bat, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I don't believe that, you know, Tyler Chatwood is the next Kevin Gosman. I'm just saying that I see a correlation here that has potential. And not to mention, along with posting a really solid FIP, Tyler Chatwood also posted a 12.05 strikeout per nine in 2020. Well, James, he only started five games for the Cubs in 2020. And yes, while I I do realize that, something that was different for Chatwood was how he was using his pitches. In 2019, Chatwood's cutter produced a batting average of .097 to the opposing hitters. But here's the problem. He only threw that pitch 10% of the time in 2019 fast forward to 2020, you can see that Chatwood threw that same pitch 30% of the time and it just so happened that he produced the highest strikeout per nine of his entire career. Of all the names that I just mentioned for the starting pitchers, I think this might actually be not only the most realistic, but the cheapest out of all the names I've mentioned so far. Not only because he's only pitched five games in 2020, but Chatwood was injured for a lot of the 2020 season. So I think the Giants could definitely get a discounted price here. All right, moving on to the next pitcher, Jake Odorizzi. Yes, another right-handed pitcher. In 2019, Odorizzi produced a 3.51 ERA and a 3.36 FIP. Hey, yeah, and you're catching on now. So basically what that was saying is the way he was producing, that was legit. His FIP was 3.36. That would have been his ERA taking out everything he could control. Anyways, and also produced a 15-7 record for the, for the Minnesota Twins and was striking out 10 batters per nine innings and he was also an all-star that year in 2019. But the reason why I like Odorizzi so much is because he's another player that is very good but was also bitten by the injury bug in 2020. Thus making him a prime candidate for you know to sign a maybe a cheaper contract plus the Giants just signed the assistant pitching coach in the Minnesota Twins. So Odorizzi coming to the Giants would make that transition much smoother and much more familiar. All right, some honorable mention names that I didn't dive into, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants go after are names like Chris Archer, Alex Wood, who's another lefty, Mike Fultanevich, Carlos Rodon, another lefty, and Zach Godley. All right, the last thing we are going to dive into for today's show is hitters. That's right, everyone's favorite segment. All right, I'm just going to say his name right off the bat Marcelo Zuna. Now, I feel like I have to address Ozuna because I guess over the past week, rumors started circulating saying the Giants are interested in signing him. But that move honestly does not make a lot of sense, in my opinion. Again, my opinion. The reason being is because Ozuna's quality of defense has gone down considerably over the past few years, and he was the primary DH for the Atlanta Braves for the 2020 season. Don't get me wrong. Ozuna is a phenomenal player. He hit 18 home runs in a shortened season, which I'm pretty sure led the entire National League. But at this point in his career, I feel like he's trending towards being a full-time DH. And the Giants front office has been told to prepare their lineups as if the DH will not be there in 2021. Not to mention, Ozuna will be expensive. There's just no way around that. He was one of the best hitters in all of baseball in 2020, and he will now expect a contract that dictates that same narrative. Sure. It would be fun to have Ozuna on the team, but I personally think the Giants can acquire more players at a cheaper price instead of putting all their eggs in one basket, especially with a player that's, you know, limited the most. Moving on to another player that's actually interesting. Eddie Rosario. Yes, Rosario excites me because of the power he can supply. During the years 2017, 2018, and 2019, Rosario averaged 28 homers, 88 RBIs, 31 doubles, and a 284 batting average throughout those three years. And during the shortened season last year, Rosario hit 13 home runs and 42 RBIs, which set him up to reach 37 homers and 120 RBIs over a full-length 162-game season. So at first, on paper, Rosario is a very exciting name that stands out to me, but a red flag that also stands out to me is that the Twins tried to actually trade for Rosario. They tried to trade him, but they actually could not get an offer that made sense. And then they actually went and put him on waivers. But not only that, Rosario made it through waivers without being claimed or picked up by anyone. So, you know, honestly, I'm not really sure what the heck's going on here. Not only does he supply the power and supply, you know, know, decent average, the guy doesn't strike out either but one thing I will say is that he does have a below average on base percentage and his defense is also something that is subpar, which ultimately does not contribute to his war or wins above replacement in a positive way. So maybe teams aren't willing to pay such a heavy price because of that, but you know, who knows? Yes, he is a lefty bat, which is exactly what the giants are looking to add depth at, but he's also limited defensively as well over the past two seasons rosario has played 175 games in left field which just so happens to be the most comfortable outfield spot for yes alex dickerson so i'm let's just say the giants do sign rosario they put him in left dickerson goes to right i guess and Yashremsky goes to center i i just don't really know where he fits in if they do you know without a dh i'm not really sure how he fits like i said rosario is an exciting name but at this point I'm having a hard time finding his place in the Giants lineup. Another name that pops out and was also just recently dropped from his team was Kyle Schwarber from the Chicago Cubs. Now, I personally love Schwarber as a player, but unfortunately, I don't know if he fits the mold either. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Schwarber—well, that's a tongue twister. Sure, Schwarber—would be able to find success at Oracle Park just like any above-average hitter would simply because of what the coaching staff is doing there but like Rosario and Ozuna, Schwarber too has limitations to his game. But first, let's go ahead and start with the positives here. Schwarber simply matches the baseball. In 2019, he hit 38 bombs and he hit 26 and 30 the two years prior. The man's a beast. And he also walks at an above average rate. But unfortunately, those are pretty much the best qualities to his game. Schwarber is another player who is limited defensively and whose career would greatly benefit from having a DH in both leagues. And unfortunately, he does strike out a lot. Since being in the league, his strikeout percentage has never dipped below 25% and has even reached up to 30% at certain points of his career. Like I said, I love Schwarber, but I'm not sure if he's the right guy for San Francisco. But there are a couple names who do make a good fit, in my opinion. And the first name is Adam Eaton. Now, this is a player that I just, that just makes sense to me, in my opinion, and Eaton is a player that the Giants do not have to wait and see if the DH comes back. Eaton probably did not hit his peak until the Diamondbacks traded him to the White Sox, which was only after his third season in the big leagues. That's right, Eaton's only been around the league for eight years. He was actually in the same draft as Bryce Harper. So people think he's kind of on the older side, but I think he's just more on the veteran side. He's still got some young in him. With the White Sox, he showed the world that he could play and he could contribute in a big way. In 2015, Eaton played 153 games, hit 14 home runs, 56 RBIs, scored 98 runs, and stole 18 bases while producing a 287 batting average at the top of the order. Now, in 2016, his numbers were almost completely identical. However, over the next two seasons, Eaton sustained injuries, thus keeping him from performing at his full potential. But in 2019, fully healthy, Eaton played in 151 games, hit 15 home runs, 49 RBIs, scored 103 runs, stole 15 bases, and produced a 2 batting average, which ultimately helped the Nationals win their first World Series title in franchise history. Adam Eaton can hit and he can play defense. He's fast and he's versatile. He doesn't strike out, and he gets on base, but the best part is that he could be a great mentor to some of the younger players like Dubon trying to improve their game. Adam Eaton is an instant plug-and-play type of guy when he's fully healthy, in my opinion, and he's definitely somebody that's really fun to watch. Okay, our last hitter, and this is probably my favorite hitter that's recently become available on free agency, and that's going to be the former outfielder for the Colorado Rockies, David Dahl. This is the bat that excites me the most for obvious reasons. For starters, this is another player the Giants can make a move on right away without having to know for certain what's going to happen with the DH rule in the National League. Dahl is a left-handed bat that can hit for power and average, but more importantly, he has experience playing all three positions in the outfield. Dahl could easily maintain the center field position while Mike Yastrzemski and Alex Stickerson man the respective spots in right field and left field. So what does that mean for Dubon? Well, here's the thing. I absolutely love Dubon, but adding a player like Dahl allows the Giants to not necessarily have to push the development of Dubon, in my opinion. Defensively, I thought Dubon played extremely well in center field, but unfortunately, his bat was not as consistent. Dahl, again, is another plug-and-play type of player. As soon as you place him in that lineup, you know what you're getting, which is a productive left-handed bat that has upside and a versatile defensive player. Not to mention, Dahl was an all-star in 2019. But of course, the obvious reasons why the Rockies might have let him go was because of his inability to stay on the field. I'm going to be honest with you, folks. Unfortunately, Dahl's early and very short four-year career has started out with a lot of injuries, but the man is only 26 years old and something else to consider. Maybe not every player's body is conditioned to excel in the high elevation demands of Coors Field. In my opinion, Dahl hasn't even come close to his peak, and I think the Giants are the perfect destination for him to have a fresh start. All right, everybody, that's going to be all for today's show of episode 27 of the Say Hey podcast. Hope it was enjoyable. Maybe you even learned something. Who knows? But most importantly, I hope you are getting excited for not only the offseason for the San Francisco Giants, but also for the 2021 season. Again, folks, just a reminder, you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can also leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. And the last thing I will say, folks, is please stay tuned to next week's episode. Again, I drop my episodes every Tuesday. But next week, we'll have another guest on the show, so get excited for it. I know I am, that's for sure. All right, everybody, like always, keep staying safe, keep being smart out there in this crazy world, but most importantly, go Giants.